Well, as I said, I get the privilege of introducing uh, Aaron Harvey this morning. For those of you who don't know Aaron, Aaron came and founded uh, Riverside Community Church in, uh, in 2000, and um, he and his wife Allison moved up here and um, didn't know a soul, but <laughs> felt led by God to come up here, and I'm sure he'll share, share some stories today. But um, of all the many things that I could share, I think I just wanted to share uh, personally that this week uh, we've been cleaning out our house and, and packing things up and doing some different things. Uh, we're moving, but not far away, so we'll still be here. Don't worry. Um, but uh, I was going through old pictures, and I'm looking at these pictures of me right after I got out of college. And um, I just look at that guy, and I'm like, that dude did not have a clue. He was so lost. He didn't know which way was up. He didn't have purpose. He didn't have direction. At the time, I thought I was having the time of my life, and I really was enjoying that. I try and enjoy each season that I find in life. But um, I look at it today, and I'm like, man, I would not trade a thing to go back to that time. And, and a huge piece of that was uh, connecting with Aaron and the legacy that Riverside has had in my own life to take me from this uh, long-haired, directionless, nothing wrong with long hair, but <laughs> just kind of dude who didn't know, you know, loved Jesus but had no clue, and, uh, and to over 15 years in, in the time that I've been connected with the church to, to mature and grow. It's had an incredible legacy, and so uh, for the part that you guys have played in that, Aaron, for the part that you played in that, I'm forever grateful. It's transformed me as a person, and I know many of you would share that same sort of story that because of, of, of Aaron and Allison's faithfulness and following God and coming up here, that lives and lives and lives have been changed. And uh, if you stick around between the services, we have some videos that some of our friend churches sent to us. Uh, just congratulating us and sharing us, uh, and it gives you a picture of how wide the reach is of, of what, what's happening uh, beyond what happens here on a Sunday morning. And so, Aaron, it's a privilege. Uh, you've set such a great legacy for us, and we're so, uh, we're so pr- thrilled to have you here this morning. So come on up. Absolutely. It is uh, such a privilege to be back with you. Uh, man, it is like coming home for us, am I, am I, I'm like, this thing's on? I'm going to make sure it's on. We rock, rock and roll? Good. So last night, obviously, I rolled in last night, and uh, Bob Schumann, pastor of Warrington Fellowship, uh, contacted me right before I, we got into town this past week, and he's like, hey, man, you want to go to the Flyers game? And I was like, absolutely. So like, literally, I purposely left so early in the morning with my whole family just so I could get back here and hit Tony Luke's and go hit the Flyers last night. And I mean, like, it was like, I loved every second of it. I mean, it was just like, I was like back. I was back in Philly, like just loving and getting on it. Guys, we're going to jump into the Word. So if you have your Bibles, jump into Acts chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse number 19. As you're getting there, we are going to walk through the scripture this morning. Uh, the purpose of this thing is not to glorify Riverside. It is not to glorify me or Ezra. It is about glorifying Jesus. That's why we came up here in the first place, was to introduce people to who Jesus is. And so I want us to walk through the scripture. Yes, am I going to tell some stories from the very beginning? I'm just, absolutely. In some ways, I'm like the gatekeeper to some of those early events that took place of what God did. And we truly want to lift up his name and glorify who he is this morning. So Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse number 19. And Luke, who is writing, writes this. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But, verse number 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came, 
and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Pray with me this morning. Lord Jesus, we come to you and we humbly bow. Lord Jesus, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are incredible. And Lord, we come before you in the, in the word and the scripture and we see a, a church that has started from nothing. And Lord, you have that kind of power. And Lord Jesus, we want to know you. And Lord, no matter how we walked in here this morning, no matter what is taking place, Lord, we know that you have the power to change us and to heal us and to, to shape us into your image. Father, we just pray that you have your way this morning, that we will respond to you, and that your name is lifted up. And we pray for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So a little context, obviously, with this passage. So Acts chapter 11 begins and, and, be, and, and moves into verse number 19 uh, with a little difficulty. Now, those who are scattered... Because of the persecution of Stephen. Stephen's persecution happened a couple chapters previously. And Stephen was a guy who was a deacon. God raised him up and began to speak the gospel of Jesus. And so many people got ticked off at him that they they stoned him. They stoned him to death. And who gave warrant to that, who gave validity to that, was a guy named Saul. And we'll meet him just a little bit later, who comes to be known as Paul later in his life. And here we come to the persecution. Here's one of the things we have to begin with that I love so much in Scripture. Jesus is about his church. And that when his goal is to take the gospel... To everyone. This is the mission of God. The mission of God begins all the way back in Genesis and moves us all the way through, all the way throughout Scripture, weaving itself. And Jesus is showing us that He is about redemption and restoration. And here we have a moment where the church was huddled together in Jerusalem. Think great things were happening there. And then God gives a vision to Peter about taking the gospel to the Gentiles, taking the gospel to those who are far from Christ, who are not of the Jewish origin. And God does a tremendous work in and through Peter. And look at verse number 18, prior to verse 19. Verse 18 says, when Peter gave his report, the scripture says, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. But they weren't going. They weren't taking the gospel to the Gentiles. They were excited about it, but they weren't doing anything about it. And yet God allows a persecution to happen to do what? To move them out. Move them out of the comfort of Jerusalem to now going outside. What did did Jesus say to the disciples in the first place? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power and you will be what? My witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, where? And the other most parts of the earth. You know it. You know that scripture. And here God is purposely doing what? Moving them out. Guys, the gospel is is powerful. We have to remember this, that the gospel is about Jesus. It is about the fact that we need the forgiveness of sin, that we need to be redeemed, that we have sin and we are separated from God. And so therefore we're in bondage. We are separated from the the king that we are to have a relationship with. And he comes and does what? Rescues us. This is what the gospel, the good news, that Jesus, God himself came and the God man came and he rescued us by what? By living a perfect sinless life by going and paying 
our debt upon the cross, the death that we should have paid, he paid for us, and now he is resurrected. He is now alive. He has defeated sin and death, and now he offers to us this newness of life. That's the gospel. And the gospel has the power to change us. It has the power to save us. And we believe that. And we believe that way back in 1998. I'm taking you way back, all right? I don't think MC Hammer, maybe MC Hammer was still around. But in 1998, right? So we go way back in a seminary classroom in Louisville, Kentucky. A professor comes alongside of me and starts talking to me about church planting. And i got to be honest with you, at that time, I had never even heard of church planting. Honestly, church, if I have heard anything about it, it was really honestly for, for losers. I mean, church planting at that time was like, you couldn't get a job in a real church, so you went and planted one. And so honestly, for him to talk to me, I was like, Dr. Booker, I was like, this is kind of offensive, right? You know, like, is that how low you think of me? And so like, but yet he just he said, I just think God has wired you up to go plant churches. And so I was like, well, I'm willing to pray about it. I'm willing to investigate it. And Really, God just began to do his orchestration. He began to bring conversation with friends. He began to show, his, show himself within the scriptures of passages like this and going and taking the gospel to people who are far from him. And that just captivated our hearts. Now, it wasn't an easy journey. We were willing to load up a rider truck. We loaded that bad boy up in the summer of 1999. Now, I don't know if you remember that summer. It was one of the hottest summers of all time. And we drove up here to two, 224 Dallas Road, all right, Willow Grove, first rental house there, and we knew no one. And you talk about feeling like an alien and feeling like a stranger. We went to the Willow Grove area of there where that Barnes & Noble is, and we stood outside, and I looked around, and, I, and outside I looked at each other, and we were like, are we crazy like, what is going on? Like, why are we here? And, and, but yet we were here because of Jesus. I mean, we believe in the power that Jesus has to save people's life. And it's not only the power of the gospel, but it's the reach of the gospel. That the gospel is for all people in all places at all times, no matter race or religion or nation or age or socioeconomic status. I mean, it is for all people. Jesus came to offer salvation to every person. Why? Because he created us. We were created for him that he loves us. And so we believe that God wants to have a relationship with you. And we said we want to start a church that radically believes that Jesus can save people. And that's why we came. And what I love about this passage, look at this, because there's some crazy guys. They're not even mentioned. Their names aren't even given. They receive zero credit. Look at verse number 20. But some of them, men of Cyprus and Serene, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, which means non-Jewish people, Greek-speaking people, the Gentiles. Also, look at this, preaching the Lord Jesus. Verse 21 is the key. And the hand of the Lord was with them. That phrase, the hand of the Lord, is an Old Testament phrase, come from, comes from Exodus and it comes from the book of Isaiah. Basically, that phrase means that Jesus was with them. That they did not go on their own. They did not go in their own power. They didn't go in their own influence or cleverness or their own abilities, but God was with them. And then we believe that. We believe that when we came here, that God was with us, that he was going to do something because he has the power to do it. Not that I, that I do. I mean, you have to remember, let's walk back a little bit. I was 26 years old when we came here. You know how much I knew? Zero. 
All right? I mean, I didn't know anything. I was just a kid. i got to be honest with you. I look at the guys that we send out, and I'm like, I would never send a 26-year-old out. You know what I mean? I'm thinking, are we crazy? You know, but yet God does these things. And we showed up on the field, and, and God did this. The, the hand of the Lord with, was with us. And I'm going to share some of those stories about how the hand of the Lord did this. Because when we arrived, we didn't know what we were doing. It's not that we had this incredible master plan. People ask me, still to this day, I, sit, I come into seminary classes and I teach all this stuff. But at the end of the day, man, if God's not in it, it really doesn't mean anything. And so we showed up and we just began to pray. And we said, God, we know. We know that you want to do something. We know you have the power to change people's lives. Show us what you're doing. Show us where you're at work. We need you to, to bring people around us. And I'll never forget, August the 23rd, 1999, Alice and I jumped in. Uh, our vehicle, and we drove down to the only Starbucks at that time, thinking how things have changed, down in Jenkintown, Pennsylvania. You know that Starbucks down there in Jenkintown? We drove down there, and we walked in, and I walked in with intention. Like, everywhere I was going, I was looking for God. It didn't matter where we went. And we walked into there, and you know, if you walk in that Starbucks, that you have to walk by everybody prior to getting to the counter to, to order your drink. So we walk in, and, man, I'm looking for people. And I, right when I walk in, I'm looking around, and I see this kid, and he's reading this book. And right when I'm, I walk past him quickly, all I catch is the title of his book in big words. It just says bondage. So I walk by and we order our drinks. And I'm like, man, this guy's in trouble. Like, what is, like, what is going on? So, like, we sat down right next to me. You know, and I, at this point in time, I had not learned really the, the, the perfect etiquette of the Northeast. And, you know, and I realized that, you know, staring at someone is not really, you know, kosher. But I remember just sitting down and I just, just staring at him. And finally, he just looked up. He's like, what? And, and I was like, hey, man. I was like, See, I'm a, I said, what are you reading? He goes, well, I'm reading a book about how Jesus breaks you from the bondage of sin. And I said, oh, really? I said, are you a Christian? He goes, uh, yeah. He, and I said, he goes, are you a Christian? And I said, uh, absolutely. And, uh, and, and so we pulled our tables a little closer together. Allison and I pulled our tables closer together. Find out this kid's name is Mark Kripsick and that he had just graduated from a place called Messiah College. And he'd been journaling in his journal. God, I know you want me to get involved in something new, but I don't know what it is. And I sat down with him and I said, bro, I got that new thing. I know exactly what we're supposed to do. We stayed up till midnight talking with myself and Allison and Mark Kripsick. And Riverside got its start because on Tuesday nights in our little home on Dallas Road, we gathered together and we prayed. That's how this church was started. This church was not started because of some phenomenal strategy or structure. We started because we got our hands and knees before the Lord, and we just began to pray. And if you don't know, Mark Kripsick now is the lead pastor of one of our churches called Trinity, which meets over in Fort Washington. I mean, like, there's, too much, there's, there's not enough time here to tell all the stories. But, like, God did a mighty work there in that Starbucks in Jenkintown and began with a nucleus. And who did Mark introduce me to? All of his Messiah college friends, one of which was a long-haired dude named Ezra, who <laughs> ended up going to L.A., trying to be a rock star. Thank the Lord, came back. I mean, like, we'll tell some more stories on that. I mean, but Ezra's like in our band. Like, he was playing the guitar. I was thinking, who's this long-haired guy? But, like, but God began our church with what? With prayer. But it doesn't mean that it was easy. We really, truly tried to, through that time, started to begin to do, in church planning ways, started to begin to do, like, form a core group. Okay, how do we gather people together? We, we did these Bible studies at the local YMCA, and 
that was kind of hit and miss, didn't really gain a lot of traction. I mean, some people came, and then it was just that constant revolving door that was taking place with those Bible studies. And a friend of mine and a mentor, a guy named John Shepherd, who the Southern Baptist had sent up here to kind of come alongside of me, challenged me. And he said, all right, Harvey, he goes, things are just not catching, you know, momentum the way you want it. So, so we need to go ahead and, like, take some steps of faith. And I was like, all right, well, what does that mean? And he goes, well, we need to go start a service. And I was like, all right, Shepard, let me step back for just a second. All right, I'm not the wisest kid in the what girl, but world, but all right. We got nothing really going on. Bible study is really not taking traction. And now you want me to go public? I was like, that sounds like the dumbest idea I've ever heard. You know, I was like, this is like, what are you talking about? But yet he was like, man, do you believe that God is with you? And I was like, absolutely. I believe that God is with me. I believe that God can do anything that he wants to do. He goes, well, it's time to give this, this community a picture of what you're going to look like. Give them, a, give them a picture of what that gospel looks like. Let's go for it. Let's advertise it. Let's just go all for broke here, and let's, let's see what God's going to do. And so we were like, well, let's do that. And we're like, first off, we need to find what? A location. We need a place to meet. And let's face it, at that point in time, around us locally, schools were just, just weren't real keen about us coming in there. We didn't have a lot of networks, so it wasn't like I could lean on relationships in the community. And so we just said, well, where are we going to meet? And out of God's grace, the Regal Cinema was built in the fall of 1999. And I, tell, I, they, you know, I don't care what the corporation says. God built that place for a church. And, like, you know, they can show movies all they want, but, man, they built it for a church. In the fall of 99, they built that facility. In winter of 2000, I go meet with the general manager, Adam Lanton, and I'm like, hey, man, is it, would you be open to a church, like, meeting here? And it, for whatever reason, and I can tell you, it's the power of the Holy Spirit, he was so welcoming to us. And we just built a great relationship, and he said, yes, we would, let's do this. Let's just see what happens with this. And so, man, all of a sudden, boom, God gives us a, gives, secures us a place. Now, what do we have to do? We have to advertise. If we believe that really God is with us, we cannot be the best kept secret in the world. How do we get the word out that God is doing something and that a new church is about to get its start and get rolling? So we said, we got to advertise this thing, but we're, we're poor. So how are we going to do that? Well, we brought up some churches from down south, a church called Highview Baptist Church and a college group from Columbia, South Carolina. And they came up. And we had like 120 kids, all right? Isn't that amazing? 120 kids. Those kids in three and a half days handed out over 14,000 door hangers throughout our neighborhoods, mapped it out way before Google, hand it, hand it right here, buddy. A map, a map. Have you ever seen this? Like doing 400 homes at a time. I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? I mean, we go to Google so fast, but no. Hand doing it, driving neighborhoods. They come up there, 14,000 door hangers to advertise our first preview service for April the 9th of 2000, all right? And so all our energy, all our resources, everything was geared up for that very first preview service. I mean, it was intense. It was a time of spending money like out the like crazy. God provided resources through, through other churches for us. And so we had this little nest egg of resources that we had to go and we had to buy everything. Imagine starting a church from, a church from scratch. Sound systems, projectors, children's equipment, cafe equipment, all the things we take for granted, zero resource, re, zero. And so we had to go purchase it all from the beginning. And I remember so excited, God, what are you about to do? I mean, it's, it's this moment, God, what are you about to do? And we gathered all of our energy towards it. And on April the 8th of 2000, I went to bed so exhausted, but yet excited at the same time. God, what are you about to do? Because 
Also, remember, I had the pressure of this big church called Highview who was going to say, hey, after the service, let's do a conference call with our church and let us know how it went. So, you know what I'm saying? So there's a little pressure, right? I mean, like, okay, this better turn out good. So, you know, a little pressure going on, but excited. God, what are you about to do? I remember waking up so early on the April the 9th of 2000, came out the door early in the morning, and it's snowing like a blizzard. And I remember in the backyard of 224 Dallas Road, looking up into the sky, and I said literally, God, is this a joke? <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? And some other language too, but that doesn't matter. But like, like, I was mad. I was like, we're missionaries, man. I was like, we came up here for you. I mean, we're about to have our first preview service. And you sent a blizzard? I mean, I was like, I was so upset, man. And I remember walking back into that home, going upstairs, opening up my, using what's called our daily bread at that time for my quiet times, and turned to April the 9th of 2000. And this is legit. You can go look this up. They, they, they put these up things online, and, and this is absolutely true. April the 9th of 2000, the quiet time came from Job chapter 38. And I want you to listen to Job chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Just for action like a man, I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched out the line upon it? And over and again, verse after verse, for four chapters, God hammers Job, and God hammered me, and basically said to me in that morning, Aaron, this is not your church. This is my church. And it will be done the way I want it done. And that was a moment where I had to turn over all control and to be obedient to him and say, Jesus, this is yours. You do it the way you want it done. And I'll, I'm not going to lie to you. It's not that I didn't have my doubts. 8.30, I'm pulling out, pulling up, picking up donuts. I still can't see an, a car length in front of me. At 9.30, the service kicks off. I'm thinking, what, what the, who sh- the freaks are showing up. You know what I'm saying? Like, who's showing up, Right? The covert showed up, but you know, like, <laughs> but literally on that morning, April the 9th, 2000, we had 70 people show up to that very first preview service. That's how we build a core group. That's God's power. That's not our power. That's not our ingenuity. That's his ingenuity. That's the power that God has to redeem us and to restore us. It's God who started this church. And we gathered that core group together there in that summer of 2000. And we just, we just got ready. We got prepared. And it was the fall of 2000 that we launched this church in October with 179 people. And here's the miraculous thing about Riverside. It, was, it never went under 100. It's, uh, I mean, it defies all logic when it comes to church planting. I look back, even my own personal experience, and looking at the experience of other church planners that I have the privilege of leading, and I'm telling you now, what God did here is a miracle. And we cannot forget that. That the hand of the Lord was with them, and the hand of the Lord is with us. And he did something that only he can do. He started a church from nothing. From nothing he started a church. And it says in the scriptures that the church in Jerusalem got word of this. And honestly, they're like, I, what's going on? We can't really believe this. And so look at verse number 20, uh, 20, uh, 22. And the report of this came to the ears of the church of Jerusalem. And what did they do? They sent Barnabas to Antioch. Look at this, verse 23. When he came 
and saw the grace of God. He was glad and he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. He saw the grace of God. Not only does the gospel have power and reach, but the gospel has the power to give evidence of the presence of God. That's what it is. He saw, he saw Jesus. He saw the presence of Jesus. He saw changed lives. He saw people who went from rebellious against God who are now worshipers of the king, the worshipers of God. He saw the grace and he reminds them, he teaches them to do what? To remain faithful. He comes alongside them and exhorted. It's a word parakaleo means to come alongside, to call alongside. He does it, as Ezra already talked about, in community. He came alongside of them and exhorted them to do what? To remain steadfast, meaning he went for their heart. He didn't go for their behavior, their outward performance. He went to their heart, their loyalty to the Lord Jesus himself. And then Luke goes into this whole like personal like, character study of Barnabas. We don't have time for it this morning. But, man, you should dig in. Barnabas was awesome. He was generous. He was a man who did not criticize but encouraged. And the greatest thing that he went and did, look what he did in verse number 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus and looked for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Guys, let's remember, this did not happen alone. This did not happen in my own power. God brought people alongside to make this thing happen. Great people. I mean, they're they're sitting here right now. And one of the strategic decisions that I went and got, this is a Barnabas move, I went and found a dude named David Pearson. And David Pearson, who will be in the, I believe here, will be here for the second service, he was my partner in crime and in ministry. I mean, I needed Pearson. I needed someone to help me put some structure to this thing because, yeah, we, got, we had a fast start. It was exciting, but we needed some structure. And God began to provide some stability for us because we were at the movie theater. And I have to tell you the story of the office out here that took, that out here on 611, right above Underwater World. Because as I'm driving home one day, all of a sudden I realize the band's meeting in my basement, the youth group's in my basement, community group's happening in my house, my office is in my house. Literally, I was going insane with Riverside. You know what I'm saying? I was like, this has got to stop. Like, we need some, like, God, we need you to provide a space for us. But once again, whoa, we were poor. We didn't have much. And so, God, you, I need you to provide a place for us. Not only a partner, but I need a, I need a place and I remember driving home on 611 and seeing a rent, for, rent sign for this office. And I remember going up into that office. This is in the fall of 2000, right after our launch. Walking up there, and it was like walking into the spookiest, like, you know, mystery story of all time. Walking in, and three months prior to me walking into that door, an Allstate agent had had a full-blown operation up there. And he, for whatever reason, freaked out and just left town and didn't tell anybody, all right? So imagine, like... An office that was three months prior was doing full business to all of a sudden doing nothing. And I'm walking in to this kind of spooky environment. And, and the owner, Mike Guckin, is like, hey, man, by the way, we're, we're, we're holding all this as hostage because Allstate owes me money. And so I'm like, okay, whatever. So we walk into the spookiness, and it was full of desks and phones, computers, the water cooler. I mean, like, awesomeness, everything. I'm thinking, oh, man, it's not just an open space. I mean, like, 
there's stuff up here. Like, I mean, like, we can use that stuff, you know, automatically. And so I'm like, oh, man, can we use this stuff? And he looked at me like I had three heads. Like, you can't use this stuff. What are you talking about? Like, Allstate owes me money. That's all he was concerned about. Allstate owes me money. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, all right, whatever. So we made a deal, a great deal for that particular space. But then three days later, I got the dreaded call. Allstate was coming to get their stuff. And I was like, oh, Lord. I was like, I need this desk, man. I need, I need these chairs, you know. I was like, what are we going to do? And two days after that, Allstate gives me a call and, and tells me they're coming to get their stuff. And I'm like, hey, um, you know, can, you know you want, you feel free. If you want to donate any of this, you know, feel free to donate. You know, we are a church. And I'm getting laughed at right on the phone. And then I try, well, maybe we can purchase something, you know. I'm like, you know, trying to like, try to, it was, they, like, it was like nothing, getting zero, no distraction with them. Hung up the phone with them, depressed get a phone call back from them again for the next day. And they were like, hey, do you have, have like official church letterhead? And I was like, yeah, man, of course we do. And they're like, well, write us a thank you letter because Allstate is going to donate everything to you. And I was like, amen, Jesus. You know, I was like, I was like, are you, like, are you kidding me? And so what I want you guys to get this morning is I want you to understand that God is powerful that he is good, and that he has the ability to do things in and through your life that you would never think possible. And I want you to put your faith in him, to believe in him, because that story, those are early. The best stories, though, are the stories that are happening and are still happening. I want you to take a look at chapter 13 real quickly, first three verses, because we're talking about the same church in Antioch. The story kicks back up. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Serene, Manian, a member of the, of the court of Herod of the Tectarch, and Saul. Listen to this. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. The greatest testimony of this church is not about how many people we gather and we seat. The greatest testimony of this church is how many people we send. That is the testimony, and that's what God laid upon my heart back in 2005, 2006. And then that's when God began to do a movement in Riverside to go plant churches. And David Pearson was the first. Then Mark Kripsick. Then a guy named Joe Velarde up in Allentown. Then Gibson Largent. Now we're raising up Doback and raising up Keith. And, and now the journey has a guy named Raymond Johnson who I raised up in Louisville. And they're sending a church out to Phoenixville. And Riverbend River has planted a church in Nazareth and planting another church you know, someplace else. I mean, like, it's unbelievable to think about the multiplication. It's incredible to think about the sending capacity of this little church. Remember, Antioch was small. Remember that we sit here today not because of the church of Jerusalem, but because of the church of Antioch. Why? Because they believed God enough to go and send their best. And they sent out. And yet God did what? He raised up other faithful men to continue that work and to continue in that sending. And you guys have a great pastor. And his name is Ezra Strickhouse. Ez, I will, I will never forget just getting to know Ezra. And sitting in that Starbucks, which is now Tony Roney's. What a travesty there. I mean, like, and we had a conversation there about you coming on staff. And Ezra is one of, is the most faithful man that I've ever met. And he is a guy who loves the Lord Jesus, who is caring, who is precise, 
and he loves the Lord Jesus, and he is faithful. And God raised him up to lead this church. He is a great pastor. When I come back, I'm telling you, I come back with joy because of your leadership and what you have done and what God continues to do in and throughout this church. What I want you to know is that Riverside had a great past. That's awesome. Let's live it up. Man, God, you are so good to us. But God is doing something right now. And Riverside even has a better future because of what, who God is. And we put, continue to put our faith in him and what he wants to do. And I know Ezra is raising up. Dobak and, and Keith, I'd love to give you a charge right now. Get off your rear ends and go plant a church. You know, I love you guys. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's time to go and continue to multiply. God wants to do incredible, amazing things. Why? Because he can and because he's worthy to be worshipped. In my heart and prayers, we take the Lord's Supper this morning. It says you will worship the Lord Jesus. And if there's anything that's keeping you from him, that you will just turn it over. Let him have it all. He can heal anyone. He can redeem you and restore you. And we get the opportunity to worship him this morning. Pray with me this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for who you are and your stories. Lord, you are so good. You are so kind. You are so powerful. And Lord Jesus, we want to worship you. We want to celebrate you through the Lord's Supper to remember the sacrifice and the death that you gave to us to give us newness of life. Father, we pray that your name is lifted up in this moment of worship and that your name is honored. And we just pray for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.